Welcome to the Organizing Ideas podcast. I'm Karen. And I'm Allison. We are two new librarians and your hosts for this podcast. Together, we're taking a closer look at the relationships between organizing information and community organizing. We are recording today on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Today, our guest is our friend, colleague, and past professor, Jorge Cardenas. He is currently the branch manager at Burnaby Public Library's McGill branch. Last year, he co-taught the UBCI School's community-led libraries class with Christy Menzo, which we both had the pleasure of participating in, and he'll be teaching it again this spring for all of you iSchool students listening to this and getting super inspired by what Jorge's going to talk about today. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi. <laughs> I'm, well, yes, I'm all those things you just mentioned. And I'm also an immigrant to Canada. I always like to say that because it's how I got here. And I even when I've been here for 11 years and when I'm already a citizen, and I'm super excited to vote this year, yeah. uh, I still feel myself like an immigrant and I will always feel myself like an immigrant. I will always be that person who came to Canada as opposed to that person that is Canadian, if you know the difference. Then I am also a, always consider myself a community librarian as opposed to a branch manager or any other position that I could have, right? That's even when I didn't want to be one at first, that's, it will always go with me because that's what I find valuable in the work I do. I... Mexican, and I'm a Mexican who complains often that there is no good Mexican food in Vancouver. <laughs> I, and I, yeah, those things are what I, I identified with more often. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so why don't we start just to get everybody on the same page with introducing the topic of community-led libraries. What is that? What's community-led librarianship? That is the question. <laughs> I <laughs> so we can see this in at least two ways. The first one is the what we have documented, right? So the community libraries is an idea that came after the working together project fifteen years ago with four libraries. And I see let's see if this time I can remember which ones were there. <laughs> Toronto, Regina, Vancouver, and Halifax. There you go. Awesome. This time, <laughs> I thought I thought for a second we were gonna have a moment of like you were in my class. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I should do that more often today. Yeah, Thank you for the idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll try. Uh, so those libraries got a um, grant from the federal government to try something that was at the time fairly different, not new, but fairly different in the public libraries world in Canada which was let's start from a clean page and let's see what the communities that have not been served well by the library that could be socially excluded are like and how we can serve them. And let's do that by, let's do that by instead of inviting them into the library, let's do that by going outside the library to try to connect with them in their own terms, not in our terms. So that's what they did. They got librarians and they went out and they connected with several um, communities in different places. Then some other libraries in Canada joined, like Edmonton, and I don't remember what other one. And they came up with ideas, techniques, stories uh, that were meant to create a different approach for public libraries to serve those communities. And that was reflected in what is known as the Community Libraries Toolkit that is available online even when the official website does not work. You can find it in the Vancouver Public Libraries website now because they are the ones who are hosting it. And you can go and study that, um, study, memorize, learn from that toolkit. The toolkit is fairly short. It has three, four sections. It, it explains the story of this project, it explains what they came up with, and then the recommendations on how to do a community-led library. And the community-led libraries concept is from that this literature is also what differentiates from other techniques that are similar, right? Uh, the community library toolkit talks about the difference between 
outreach and community-led libraries approach between uh, consultation and community-led libraries approach. Uh, but the main two ideas are, or the main two differences are, one, we are still using all those techniques one, we're doing a community libraries approach, so we're not different from that. And the second one is we're trying to focus specifically in, on those who are not being served well by the library and are socially excluded, right? That's what community-led libraries does. Now, the, that's the first approach, looking at what already exists. Now, the, the project was 15 years ago. The toolkit was published like, about 10 years ago. So in many ways, it is... If we see it from today, it is a bit outdated. For some of the terms used on that toolkit are outdated. The most obvious one is there is a whole section about computer training. You don't find that term anywhere in the library world right now. Nobody talks about computer training. We talk about digital literacy, for example, right? Or makerspace. Well, no, don't, we don't even say makerspace anymore. That's a little bit outdated. So see, we don't, I don't know what we say, but we don't say that. So when we, if you see, if you look at the uh, community library toolkit, it is, um, you need to see it with uh, the filter of what is outdated and what can be used still, and what can be used still are the techniques. The other way of looking at what community libraries is, since so many libraries have used it, and so many librarians have um, taken advantage of the techniques, and so many other libraries have created their own toolkits to deal with this approach, Edmonton, Ottawa, um, Saskatoon is working on one right now. Community-led libraries is so many different things because it's how every library and every librarian understands this approach, right? Uh, another big concept in community libraries is there is no, uh, we don't have a list of what those socially excluded communities are, right? Mm -hmm. You go and find them yourself and it can be, the techniques and the toolkit can be used in any community in any place, but the results, uh, the connections, the relationships, the services you're going to develop are obviously going to be different because they're different communities, right? Um, the other thing is that it is a little bit confusing when you go and do a little bit of research on literature and find how every librarian system or city interprets the community-led library service, you're going to find so many different things, right? Some, not, I'm not saying that any of them are wrong, they're just different. Some of what some librarians and libraries are doing, I would not say that's community-led library approach, right? But that's my perspective. It is for them, it is not for me. Um, some are even calling what is traditional outreach, which is let's do a pop-up in a farmer's market, a community-led approach. And I'm like, well, that is not what it was supposed to be, right? The most important thing is how you see it and how you use it. And I'm going to talk about later how I am seeing it now, which is actually a little bit different than how I was seeing the community-led approach six months ago or eight months ago when we had the class, right? Cool. Oh. Tell us about how you were kind of introduced. I was introduced by necessity and by chance and by... I was forced to do it. And I'm not kidding. So what happened <laughs> is <laughs> I was library clerk at the Vancouver Public Library when I went to library school. And that was back in 2011, 2012. And I was focus my goal was to become an academic librarian i wanted to be an academic librarian but i started sending applications everywhere and i never heard back from anywhere right nothing uh, we've all experienced that stuff like you send the application of what you want nothing happens i had what everybody calls my foot in the door in the public library system because i was already there and vancouver at the time posted vancouver public library posted a, a student librarian job which was one shift a week and I don't remember exactly what the details were, but I do remember that you had to, there, there were specific departments and branches where you were able to work that will take you, and you had to list your preferences, right? And see, like, I, I want, first I want children's, and second I want reference, and third I want whatever, right? And one of the options was the Mount Pleasant Library, which at the time, and still, has a reputation for being a very problematic, conflictive tough library to work on because it has many incidents. And I had worked there already as a 
library clerk. I was taking shifts regularly at that branch. I was like, this looks okay. And I knew if that no one else was going to list Mount Pleasant Library as their option one. So I did. I put Mount Pleasant Library as my number one. And I think I even made a note, like, I'm not interested in any other library. I just want to work at the Mount Pleasant Library. So it probably worked because nobody else applied. I got the <laughs> student neighborhood job at, at the Mount Pleasant Library. And I was, you too have been um, student librarians. The, the job is usually you sit at the desk and you answer questions, right? And Mount Pleasant Library at the time, and probably still now, was a bit different because it was the only library in Vancouver Public Library System that had community librarians. It had two. Actually, three, because it was two positions. One of them was doing a job share. So it was Sarah, Randy, and um, Emily. So, And I started working there, and I started asking questions then because it was mysterious, right? They would suddenly leave the branch, and you didn't know what they were doing. And one day Randy came to me and says like, hey, we're going to the food bank. He didn't ask. He didn't like say anything, background, anything. We're going to the food bank. And I was like, okay, we're going to the food bank. And we left. And I, I just saw what he was doing, right? He was like, so you grab this paper, you talk to people, you ask him if you have a library card, and then that's it. I was like, sure, I'll do that. And then the following week he was, okay, we're going to the food bank. I was like, okay, let's go to the food bank. And the next week they were like, sorry, so Randy's not here. Can you go to the food bank? And I was like, okay, I'll go to the food bank, right? <laughs> And then once the, that student librarian job finished, I stayed as a part-time at Mount Pleasant and I started doing a little bit more than that job. I found that it was a job that nobody wanted to do, right? Nobody wanted to be the one outside going to the food bank or going to any other. The food, I, I mentioned the food bank because that's the one everybody would mention, like, oh, they go to the food bank. That's what community librarians do. But of course, they would go to many other different organizations and places. And the part when I say I was forced to do is because they just came and said, like, you're going to do it, right? You don't have any other option. The part that was chance is just because I ended up at Mount Pleasant Library. I didn't know what was going to happen. And the part that it was nice and interesting is that they actually trained me in a very nice way. They never trained me in a way that seemed forced. They never trained me in a way that seemed very academic. They never trained me in a way that seemed, like, pushing. They was all those techniques that you find, for example, on the community libraries toolkit in the way that, so the best way to do it is you don't bring books, just go and have a conversation. That for any librarian is so hard. It's like, what do you mean? I'm not going to bring books to this visit? For for them, the way they taught me was natural. So don't bring anything, just go see what happens and come back. And then I had the other part, which was amazing because you would come back and have chance to talk to them to see what happened and what are we getting out of this? What are the possibilities? And what are... So it was people with tons of experience that shared their knowledge in a way that was natural and that it was just exciting at the time, right? That's how I got started into this. So it, it relates to a question that we've talked about before, but our podcast listeners haven't heard before, which is what skills do you think people need to learn to do this work well? Like, what are you trying to foster in the class you teach or when you're training new librarians? Um, let's start with a list. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is humility, right? We, as librarians, are in a profession when we are charged with important because we have a master's degree and learn special skills. And then we come to the community and we want to share and teach and do all these things with community and community. Uh, can I swear in this podcast? Yes, you can okay. swear in our community doesn't, <laughs> community doesn't give a shit about us, honestly, right? Like um, most members of the community don't know that you need a master's degree to be a librarian, right? And they don't care about it. Most members of the community don't know what a subject heading is. Most members of the community don't care about information, visualization, those. So... Be a little bit humble and just forget about all that stuff. You're not an expert in in those needs. You're an expert with a master's degree that it's not even focused on anything. So <laughs> let's let the first one. The second is curiosity, because you come with an idea to learn from a very um, curious point of view what's out there, right? The third one is the ability to. Uh, leave everything behind and step outside of the library. It sounds like, is that a skill? Well, in the public library world, especially, yes, it is. Nobody wants to A, go outside, B, leave everything behind, 
right? Like just go, um, not literally, but bare naked, like just go into the community, step outside. The fourth one is the ability to sell things. You, even when you don't want to, are selling the library concept, right? You are bringing the library concept to people who don't know what it is. Service awareness is a technical term in the public, in the <laughs> community-led libraries world. But when you think about this, selling things is awful, right? Who wants to go door to door selling something? Nobody wants to do that. The good part is that you're selling something that uh, nobody's buying, I mean, in terms of cash, and so a concept that everybody loves. So embrace the idea, go and sell the idea of a library world. Like, be able to be a salesperson outside the world. Another one is the, the ability to talk to people and listen. It's a, a very tough skill to learn and put into practice. And especially in the library world, when we think we have these amazing things that we, we want to tell people right away. And, <laughs> right? But, but we have, we have like a... We have audiobooks! <laughs> audiobooks, come on! Like, no, have a conversation and listen. Just listen what's happening. The ability to take all those uh, comments, ideas, conversations, encounters with people and then bring them back and put them into a context in which they can turn into something. That probably is a stepping into the service design world, but you need to be the person who makes the transition, right? Uh, the ability to be super patient. If you are going to step into a community-led library model and approach and way of work, is not going to work in the first month or, or six months or even year. So you are going to do this like, very slowly. And, uh, the ability to deal with frustration. Sometimes nothing happens. Many times nothing happens. Um, and when you go there and see that the two, first two, three times nothing happens, you want to just throw the, table, the, the towel and go back. No, you need to keep trying. The ability to be able to tell, so it's, yeah, to tell stories to people, uh, not just the people that you're visiting, but the people inside the library. If you have the opportunity to connect with everyone outside, you come back and share that with everyone inside. Not everyone in the library system is able to go outside, um, and, and even if they are, they're not able to go the same way a community librarian does. So the ability to come back and tell those stories and inspire everyone else of what you've seen, experienced, learned, is it is important. It is extremely important. And if you don't know how to tell stories, go learn how to do it. Right? It's, you can come back with like, hey, I just I saw three people today. It was nice. Doesn't doesn't <laughs> help. Um, the ability to connect to to create a network. Uh, it is important to create a network or several networks uh, with partners, with librarians. And it's important in every job, but it's ex it's if you do, are not able to create a network in your community, whatever it is, with your co-workers, with other community librarians, you are going to find it even harder, right? So you need to know who are the key, key people are. Go be, be in touch constantly, go visit, get back to them, do stuff. Those are some I remember later. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to jump ahead too much in our questions, but one of the things that we were thinking about after the last interview that we did, which was about precarious work in mm -hmm. libraries and archives, was something we were talking about afterwards was like the, the working conditions that allow you to do community-led work. Um, like as someone who works on call and I'm moving between branches all the time or even systems, stuff like that, it can feel really hard to be supported to do it or in student jobs where you're there for a short amount of time, building relationships where you know, like, ah, I have to leave in like a month and a half. That all yep. takes time. So like if you're working contract or just like a few hours a week or just like once a week as a student librarian, like how can you build that kind of attitude or like that kind of methodology in your practice when, you know, you're not always at work or in that particular space? Like if you are like, you know, bouncing around different branches. Yeah. Well, you can't. You can't. Right. Oh. So, so where is responsibility for changing that lie? What, what do you think it, it needs to look like in our profession to make this more possible? <laughs> I don't As someone know. with a branch manager title. Change the way we work completely. And that is... And when I say completely, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But just a little bit. Right? Um, I probably should start throwing examples, like real life examples mm -hmm. of what this means. 
so the first part is like if you're an exterior librarian or you're new in the system or you are working just part-time like how can you do this well you you need two things you need to have the everything that's on your side the skills the interest the all that stuff and then you need to have an environment in which you're able to use all this that you bring right so you need to create both who is in charge of the first one you you need to go for training you need to learn you need to ask questions you need to go into community you need to do all those things nobody else is going to do it for you you even even if you have training you sometimes have to ask for it and be very proactive about it the second part is whatever the organization does and this is when it it's complicated to answer the question because it depends on the organization right but let's try to talk about in general so when you have an organization public library and I, I, I could be describing any public library but I'm going to describe some of the ones I've been working and for the past few years when you have an organization when all the work is built around a service desk that means that you have fixed hours in a fixed space with fixed people uh, and you are trying to do community work that's not going to happen so first you need to destroy that model right even when it's painful and even when it's uh, so controversial with library staff and with a few users members of the library right and i say a few because nobody really complains about that from the public the staff all the time how do you destroy that well it's simple you you stop doing it and then you create some alternative model that tries to still serve the people who come into the library and allow and empower staff to go outside and do these things that's the first one. The, the The next thing you need to do, create a model and have staff already who are more regularly in this organization, who are regularly there and who are un, uh, comfortable at being uncomfortable, comfortable at being, at not having uh, set goals and set um, ways of doing things. You need leadership, managers, chief librarians and board that are comfortable at the fact that you are not going to deliver numbers every month or every week. You need to have departments that are flexible enough so you can go and respond to what community times, needs and places are as opposed to the ones that are imposed by the library, right? What we are doing now at the branch I'm working on, and I should say that I don't like to use the word branch and I will explain like later why. At the library I'm working on right now is we are, when you mention the idea, I'm going to destroy, and I say it's a joke all the time, we're going to get rid of the desk. And people were like, why? Why are you doing this? And they have good reasons to ask the question. This model works. Why are you trying to get rid of it, right? Well, we're not trying to get rid of, this, of the system because that sounds cool and funny to destroy something and say, I did it. It is because we are not serving the community that we're supposed to serve. And it's hard to explain because most staff in their own right think they know the community because they serve the community every day. They know the community that comes into the library. They don't know the community that doesn't come into the library, right? So we are not destroying the desk. That's not happening. But we are destroying the model in which we have two or three people sitting at the desk all the time, right? And that is we're going to have fewer people at the desk because they were releasing you from the desk, which is the one number one reason that is getting in the way so you can go out in the community and then you have free time. That free time, you are going to go outside into the community. I know you can use that free time for many other things. You can use it to do collection development, program planning, and any of the, the projects you have on there. But because I'm releasing you from this, let's say that you're going to do that first. So it's simple. You create a model in which you're not going to be sitting at the school time and you go outside, right? These are the people who are all the time inside the branch, regularly, full-time, part-time. Let's say that this is the part in which you are creating the model and then you start training them. What are you supposed to be doing? You're going outside and you're going to talk to people, come back and let's debrief, see what's happened. And then you're going to go again, visit a different place, let's come back and see what happens. Once they are comfortable doing this, then they can take on the role so other people do it, right? You ask the question about what happens for some of us that are um, just getting into the system, auxiliary, living in precarious situation, ideally that's the next step. First, we try to create an environment in which the staff who regularly works there is 
comfortable with this and can guide you in this work and so next time when you come you can start going with them or we already created a network a map of organizations um, a system to going out so you can jump into that system right that's what's happening right now is every organization doing something like that no are some organizations doing something like that maybe i know of some organizations that are doing that but it comes from what's happening at the top and what decisions what decisions are being made one example is i was in saskatoon a couple of weeks ago and they are doing this right they are doing um, they decided that they are going to do a completely overhaul of the system right from a community-led approach and they are going to change the way everyone is working right and in order to create that they're going to start first by setting what the new expectations are and everyone is on board like the library board to start with, the chief librarians, the management team, and then they're going to bring it to everyone else. And so they're going to create probably new departments. They already started doing that. I don't remember the name of the departments, but they, they, they started with social workers and now they're going to have, they have community librarians, but now they want to bring this model for everyone else to do it, right? This model, when they create it and when they have it fully functioning, will allow people who are not full-time or not regulars to also do this work as part of their everyday work, right? And whether that's going to be successful or not, I have no idea because I know what they're doing. Uh, but I do know that they're creating the opportunities. Um, the last thing is like for people who are not regular and working in a precarious situation, auxiliary, it is important to ask for the opportunity, whatever system you're working on. And when you are in a position of management or planning or making decisions, you are th you have a group of people you're thinking about and you have priorities. You have to start, for example, with the full-timers and the part-timers because that's how it works in an organization. And it is also important to recognize that, as my boss, Beth Davis, once said, this is, in a way, a self-selecting work the same way that other positions in the library are. Not, everyone's, not everyone wants to be a cataloger. I don't want to be a cataloger. I would die if I was to sit down every day at a desk cataloging eight hours, right? That doesn't sound fun to me, but it sounds exciting to other people. With this position, it is the same. Or with this kind of work, not this position. This kind of work, it is the same. Um, some people will decide to do it and will enjoy doing it and some others won't. So when you know who is interested in doing it, instead of going you, the person who is planning this, asking everyone which you will do, it is a little bit easier. I know that you I, you have three, four new hires who are going to be working at Auxiliary for the next six months. And you know that two of them are definitely not interested and you know that two of them are definitely interested. When it comes to time, you're going to start with the ones that are interested and you're going to do other, to have the other two doing some other kind of work, right? So if you don't ask, I want to know. That is it. Thanks. Wow. Um, Allison was telling me that you were traveling a lot. Um, still, yes. Still? Do you want to talk about that, like where you've sure. been and what you've uh, been learning about? It is part of a program that's called the um, uh, Public Library Leaders organized by the Canadian Urban Library Council. The Canadian Urban Library Council is a Canadian is it an organization, it's a Canadian thing, that groups together libraries uh, in urban uh, settings of more than 100,000 residents. So all the big libraries are there, of course, part of it, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, medium-sized libraries, like libraries in medium-sized cities, like Burnaby, and of course, tons of cities in Ontario, so Barrie and Vaughan, and also some library systems that even were, when they're not urban, they have at least one city, and then there are regional systems like Vancouver Island or Okanagan Regional Library, they're a part of this. So it is a year and a half program, which is twofold. The first part is all academic, so you take, um, it's, as, it's a six um, units, program and every unit you study something that's important it could be human resources or it can be governance or it can be those topics that you learn when you're moving into the leadership world in the library 
so you have readings and you have homework and you have it's academic, right? It's part you get a certificate from University of Toronto. So you 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 have to do all that stuff. The second part, that's a really cool part, is that you do site visits. So it's six site visits for those six units. And this time we started with Calgary exactly one year ago in October. So we went to Calgary, and the site visit was the new Calgary Public Library, oh. right? Right before it opened, right? Mm -hmm. So we had like the sneak peek. It was very nice. And the site visit is not only to go see what's in there and take a look at their library, but they also choose a theme or a topic based on what you're seeing. Of course, there's the topic was how do you build a new library and make it relevant to the community, right? The second visit was in January to Vaughn to see some more of their new libraries, how they decided to build in the way they did. Um, and they had cool things like they are not using signs. They have, they don't have a single sign in the library, nor neither outside nor inside. And it's a way that is trying to solve the problem of how people move inside a library, right? And how people find, actually find stuff. And they're finding that putting more signs doesn't really work. So they're going exactly the opposite. The third visit was uh, Halifax Public Library. And it was in April. One of the most beautiful libraries I've ever seen. I want to work there. <laughs> it was a very nice library. And they have a... They talked about some of the programs they're doing that are completely different from other libraries. For example, they have a full-on food program. So they're feeding people. They're actually feeding people. The library is not only having a program on how to cook, but they also cook and they also give you the food and you eat. And sometimes they have just like a, a time when you come, have coffee and eat something. So no strings attached, you don't have to pay, you don't have to stay for anything, you don't have to library card, come eat. And they created this program because they found out one of the biggest needs in their community was food, right? Access to food. And they have some other uh, things like the library is not a quiet space, but it is built so it is a quiet space in some areas. So they have a tune and music and instruments program and they play inside the library every Friday and it's amazing to go inside the library and hear all the things they play in this amazing music. The next visit was Washington Public Library in DC, oh. right? For um, and it was in June. We visited and the library, and they talked about two things. They're also building a new library, but they they talked about in different. I mean, it's a different environment. It's the U.S. It's a different city. DC is special in the way that they don't have a governor or a mayor. Well, I think they have mayor, but they the way they get money is very complicated, right? Because they they can't vote for president, or I think. It's, yeah. it's really awful. Uh, <laughs> but they, it's a big city. It's a 700,000 people city, right? Mm -hmm. And they still have library system that is huge. So the way they were talking about how to negotiate for money when you have so many people making decisions that are, don't agree with each other. It sounds like a what nightmare. A nightmare yeah. Exactly. It sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> but they also talked about how they're, which was the most important part for me, how they're changing the way they're organizing their work. Libraries, public libraries are used to a very traditional model in which you have one children's department, one reference department, one cataloging department, right? And they are trying to look at the work in a transversal way. Like we all do programming. Okay, that's easy. Let's do a programming department, right? And where everyone is part of, either children's librarians or adult librarians. doesn't matter. But they created or some categories that are interesting and the most interesting one was it's not a department it's a category it's called social justice so we all do social justice so how every department is going to create a workflow or create shifts or whatever it is based on a social justice approach because it's important for that city to have and it could be spaces it could be programs it could be like anything but you need to use a social justice approach. And I thought, okay, that's something that we don't do. That's something that we can create. The next visit is coming up, and it's here, the Lower Mainland, at the end of the month. So, unfortunately, I will not get to travel. Right? Well, I will travel from Burnaby to Vancouver. <laughs> so they all come here, and the topic will be human resources. I don't know which library we're actually visiting. The last one is Toronto Public Library for graduation, and it's in January again. Right. So those are the trips I've been The things I've seen is it is an amazing program and I can start describing how amazing it is because you get the opportunity to 
get together with the same group of people over a year and a half. So people from all these public libraries in Canada and you get to have conversations in both a formal and informal environment because we're together for three, four days. It's like we we talk about everything and we change ideas and we change strategies and we change like everything. Then you get to visit libraries in a way that you usually don't. I mean, you we all travel and because we are nerds, we go more like to go and see libraries. Every time we where you go, right? Don't lie, you do it too. Now my parents copies <coughs> anywhere they go of them at the library. Exactly. <laughs> and this one is it because they create they like the host library has the responsibility and they're happy to do it to create an opportunity to show everything, even show themselves burn vulnerable like mm -hmm. this is what's working and this is what's not working mm -hmm. and they have all us looking at it and learning from it and asking questions and poking and all different things like you don't get that very often right you don't get people to show you like i remember in halifax it was very interesting that we go and see like they have this amazing library downtown it's seriously it's amazing and then they have us driving around the rest of the city to see the other libraries and they're not nice mm -hmm. right like they're all they're not shiny, they're not well designed, they're not, so what they're trying to show is like the contrast. How do you deal with this? On the one hand is you have this amazing library that's like the, a symbol of the city. And on the other hand, you have all these community libraries that are the ones that are connecting with the larger community and they don't work the same. How do you deal with this? And their answer is we're trying to figure it out and we don't know, right? If you have any ideas, let us know, right? And the last part that's very nice about this program is that it is an opportunity to get peak and a taste of what making tough decisions that you never get to see are made, right? I can talk about that stuff, right? Because that's stuff that stays in camera. And that's the whole point of this program, right? You can here to a safe environment to talk about stuff that you can't talk about anywhere else. How do you deal with that, right? And you get the coaching and the support and the uh, even friendship of people who have done this before and are placing themselves there to say, I'm here for you in this program, but you're all, I'm also here for the rest of your career if you need me. And they're like, okay, that's perfect. I don't need anything else right now. Mm -hmm. When you said earlier, over like the last six months or eight months, your, your perspective on what community-led librarianship is has changed. Is it due to this program or other it's things? It's partly due to this program, partly after the readings. First, yes, it is this program because you go, you get to travel to see how other libraries are doing it, how are they talking about it, what has worked and what hasn't, mm -hmm. right? I make an extra effort every one. I travel to one of these libraries to, I have already like a list of questions. I like, so tell me, do you have librarians? How do they work? Uh, do you have community librarians? How do they work? How do the, the rest of the system work? What's your approach what what is your philosophy behind it what documents do you use all that stuff right like one big shock for me was that uh, washington public library social justice is part of our work we call it social justice right we don't do that in public libraries in canada no it's no, very explicit yeah it's very explicit right yeah. no, we don't do that so can we do something like that and the conversations with other librarians i've been i've had a couple of times even the opportunity because i asked and traveling can you introduce me to one of your community librarians i want to ask them what they think how they do it you learn, for example, that in Ottawa, they don't call them uh, community librarians, they call them inclusion librarians. So I'm like, of course, you're not doing community work, you're doing inclusion work, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that, that kind of, those examples are what uh, started, got me thinking about this. The, the second thing is that after the class finished, we, because that's Morphe's law, you start finding more and more nice articles about this work, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you start reading about how other people treat it and they they show you more up-to-date ways of approaching with um, theory that's borrowed from other areas that we are not used to because we didn't study right that is that is why mm -hmm. and do you want to know why how yeah. it's uh, how it's changed <laughs> it's 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 actually fairly simple and it's fairly similar it's just explained in a different way so it's community-led work from an equity, diversity, and inclusion lens, mm -hmm. right? That's it. For example, the talk I did at Saskatoon Public Library was like this, right? It's not the same to say we are going to try to connect with socially excluded communities. We are going to go outside into the library than saying this, the way we are connecting with those communities is with this specific lenses, equity, 
diversity and inclusion. I don't have time to talk what I've learned from other areas, but mostly in the library world when we use the EDI approach is for hiring, right? We don't usually use that approach for serving people, right? To say some examples, we do, we're trying to get a more diverse space service library, right? And it can be connecting with more immigrants with different backgrounds. It can be forming a trans inclusion group in the library. It can be trying to participate in, in the effort of organizing, what's it called, the, the day that Duncan is organizing every year? Pride. Thank you. Organizing Pride. <laughs> Sorry, I was blocked for a second. Uh, organizing Pride, and we are officially part of the organizing committee in Burnaby. That is just the second time it happens. But it can also be trying to look at how other communities see books or how their communities see learning and which is what we're supposed to be doing anyway right but it's not the same we are open to everyone to say we have a, di a diverse lens to look at things and to make sure that our it's part of this uh, another idea that I, that I learned from one of those trips it was probably in Halifax the idea of the a library has to be as much a window as it should be a mirror okay especially a public library. So we are used to the fact, especially with books, of saying when you read, it's a window into the world, right? It's beautiful. It gives you new perspectives. It gives you... And we have created libraries like that. These places where you come to learn new things. And we are very proud of that fact. Um, we use it a lot with when we do work with immigrants and with people that are new to Canada and we say we're showing them what Canada is we're showing them what they're getting into we're showing them how special we are right that's a window so libraries are a window but libraries have to be a mirror so we get to develop a relationship with those communities in a personal way if I come into the library and I only see things that are different to me this is not my library it is hard for it to become a library or it'll be harder the library has to make an effort to also be a mirror. I'm going to show you new things, but I, I'm going to show you what you are, right? And that's why it's important to have a trans flag inside the library. That's why it's important to have um, not only books, but this place or something else that shows this kid from Somalia, that Somalia is also part of the library, right? This is a different way of using the diversity model, mm -hmm. not just saying we serve everyone, which we don't really. It's a nice wishful thinking idea but it's not a reality right the the inclusion part is probably the easy one to the easiest one to explain yes we want to include those who have not been included especially the ones who have been socially included for whatever the circumstance your uh, community left you out and it, in the case of Burnham for example right now it forces new immigrants seniors that are living in isolation teens that for whatever reason are having hard in life women who, that are coming back from abuse, either like abuse at home or substance abuse. And we're trying, we're slowly finding those organizations, right? Sorry, those communities and those people that are, for whatever reason, such excluded by making the effort of going out and having librarians that are trying to include them or that we are trying to invite people to be part of us and we're inviting people to make them us part of their life, right? Build inclusion. The equity part is the toughest one to achieve and it's the toughest one to explain when you have a library that's already working in many ways. You have a library that is successful in many services. Uh, most libraries in the Lower Mainland Canada have a very high gate count. Many people come into the library. Many libraries have, and even when it's decreasing, we still have high circulation numbers in terms of books. We're showing that the uh, circulation of digital materials is going up every year. We have programs that get attended and, and some we have programs that if we keep offering them every month they're going to be full and it can be anything from a book discussion to um, program um, offered by organizations that give legal support, right? So you come and you say, well, if we want to serve those who have not been included, and if we want to make the library diverse enough that actually becomes a mirror as much as a window, then we need to shift resources. We don't have unlimited resources. 
I want, I'm asking you to stop doing that program, to stop sitting at the desk and to stop doing some of the things that you are successful at to try to find some other people. And that is tough, right? How do you tell someone, okay, this is great, let's break it. Mm -hmm. And having them being happy about it. It is, it is really hard. One example, the library I'm working at right now had in March the highest gate count in the past 10 years. It's, it's big, it's huge, like tons of people are coming to the library. And then this guy comes and tells them, because I start working in February, and tell them we're not serving the community. How do you, how do you support that argument? And they tell them, but the community is coming. Like, look, look at the numbers. Then you start explaining from an inclusion point of view, from a diversity point of view, and mainly from an, the idea that, come with me, let's go for a walk, and I'm gonna show you what I'm talking about, right? To try to work from an equity point of view. I'm going to ask you to stop serving those very nice ladies that come into the book club every month. I'm going to ask you not to do the book club every month, but every other month we're going to shift resources so we can serve those seniors that are completely isolated and don't have the money or the time or the card to come to your book club, right? That's equity, trying to serve both. When I explained like that, I tried to put examples of how we are going to make it more diverse and how we're making it less diverse, how we can make it more inclusive and how we're not making it inclusive, how it can be equal action, like an equal service from equity, not just equality, with examples of what you're doing in every specific thing. It can be programming, it can be children's services, it can be cataloging, it can be displays, it can be the space. The most important thing is that at first I told you one of the skills that is, you ask one of the mm -hmm. skills, be able to tell stories. If you just say, we're going to get rid of the desk because it is not working, right? Mm -mm. But when you say, if I take you from the desk and you are using that time to go out into this specific part of Burnaby that we have never been, and you are probably going to spend some time there. And at first it's going to be tough because you're not going to talk to everyone but I promise you that in three months you're going to develop a relationship with those members of the community that you haven't seen and they, you're going to have a bigger impact with them because they're not facing one barrier but six or seven. People start listening, right? And then when they actually go and do it and they are able to experience that and come back with the stories of what they found, then it's like the circle is um, uh, coming to a, to a full to be full drawn. Having said that, and I think I, I, we said this, Chris and I said it in class, uh, we're meant to fail, right? This is, we are not going to be able to serve every person that has been left out from the public library world. We will not be able to solve every problem. We will not be able to make the library fully uh, mirror as it is a window. We will not be able to provide a service that is based on equity. Uh, but what, what we cannot say is that we will we we were not going to do that just because we can't mm -hmm. right we're gonna try it we're going to go ahead and do it anyway that's great um i guess towards like wrapping up because you mentioned like some of the challenges um in this work what are some of your favorite parts of your job well, right now I do have many because being a manager of a library doesn't give you many opportunities of going out and doing this work. Right? I complain all the time that I can't. Uh, I have this phrase uh, that I use on a daily basis now and people are starting, they started laughing and they're like, again, he's saying this. And I say all the time, I didn't go to school for this. Or this is one of the examples of what I didn't take in library school, right? For example, dealing with, as a branch manager or, or manager of a library, you do you have to talk for three days about painting walls. I'm like, that's not cool. Or <laughs> paper tissue, that's not cool. Dealing with uh, the cities because they're going to come and do a power shutdown and you have to send 23 emails over two hours. Like, that is not fun. What I'm enjoying right now specifically about the job is that because I work right now in an organization that is committed to implement a service model that community-led based on equity, diversity, and inclusion model is the opportunity to A, create the model, right? I'm working really hard on creating this model and that means shifting resources, creating plans on how we're going to do it, having 
thousand conversations every week with people, not just to convince them, but to try to come up with ideas on how we're going to do it. Other thing that I'm enjoying a lot is the actual training, right? Even when sometimes it's really tough because I come from one perspective and they come from another one and we end up clashing. I think we're building uh, an environment in which we're able to have conversation even when most of most times we don't agree, but we're able to say like, this is what I think, well, this is what I think, and then come to a conclusion or not and keep talking the next time. And most importantly, actually have people, okay, finally, I liberated you from the desk that you love so much, let's go out and let's try to do something, right? And that training part of, I didn't know what I was going to do and I was terrified and I was anxious to two months later, well, this is actually pretty cool, can I keep doing it? Oh my god, yes, that's it, I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna celebrate all night, it's not that bad. And having the librarians that are doing community work right now take the lead on doing everything on an everyday basis, we went from we created a new way of doing statistics this year and we went from almost nothing to having pages and pages of places that we have visited and we have connected with people and found groups that we didn't know anything about. That probably is another part, like every time you find... Okay, when I got into this job, my organization had... A, or I started a community map and I had like six organizations the first month and 11 the next year. And then right now we have like 120 that we're working with and visiting. And you feel like, hey, I'm getting a hang of it. I'm getting to know the community. And the next couple of months you find like 20 more you didn't know anything about. It's both both frustrating, like I know nothing. I don't know this community. I don't know what I'm doing. But it's also exciting, like yes, this just kept going, right? Like you keep finding opportunities to do the work. That's what I'm enjoying the most right now. Cool. So if folks uh, wanted to learn more about this or get in touch with you and learn more from you, what's the best way for people to find you? Do you like tweet or something? I have a Twitter account that I never use, so no. (laughs) (laughs) I never got into tweeting. Uh, Probably my email address, my personal email address is the one that is the... Well, I, one of my personal email addresses. <laughs> That's the best one. It's my first name, Jorge. Dot last name Cardenas at alumni. Dot ubc. Dot ca. Okay, cool. The one you can put. So now you can email Jorge, try and get into his class, <laughs> <laughs> find out cool things going on. <coughs> be. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. And for thank sharing you, thank you, thank about you. your work. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. Me too. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's actually, we'll have to send it to everyone who was in our class about, like, here's the mm-hmm. six months later, hot take. <laughs> Thank you again to Jorge for sitting down with Allison and I to talk about community-led libraries. Links to the community-led libraries toolkit that he mentioned and the public library leaders program that he's participating in are in the show notes. We can be found on Twitter at OrganizingPod, that's organizing with a Z and not an S, and our email is organizingideaspod at gmail.com and our website is organizingideaspod.wordpress.com. Okay, bye-bye.